as we continue in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Lord, I pray that um, as we go through the word, that uh, you would uh, touch our hearts, that you would teach us. And, and Lord, take your word and work it in our hearts to where it's uh, worked out in our lives in a very practical way. And Lord, in a way that we're living in wisdom. So Father, we thank you for the word that is given to us right now, that we can see that life apart from you, Lord, um, has its shortcomings. And it, it, and it has its problems. And Lord, you desire for us to not only have life eternally, but to experience the abundant life that you have for us right now. So bless this time as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we've moved into Ecclesiastes in our Wednesday night service, you know that Solomon, even though he was noted for being the wisest man that ever lived, yet the Bible tells us that his heart for God was not perfect like his father David. In other words, he had wisdom, but his devotion towards God was lacking. And I think that we see that as you read 1 Kings and as you move into 2 Chronicles, and you read about how when he was young that he desired to have wisdom. He asked God's help to rule over people that he said was great. And I'm young, I don't know my coming in and my going out. And it pleased the Lord when he did ask for that wisdom. And it was in his heart to build the temple of the Lord, which took seven years. And it tells us in those books of, of First Kings and also Second Chronicles that after he built the temple, he, all that he did, that he, it was on his heart that he desired to do, all of a sudden he began to indulge himself. He began to indulge himself in, in other things. He was one that indulged himself in his wealth and, and what the world tells us will bring us real purpose and fulfillment in life. And as Solomon here, I believe he's writing this book towards the end of his life because he talks about all these things that he has seen that their vanity, it's, it's all this that I've tried to understand. It's like trying to grasp for the wind. There's nothing new under the sun. And the reason that Solomon here, he is one bummed out guy. He is down on life because he's trying to figure out what is best for man apart from God. And one of the main lessons that we see here going through the book of Ecclesiastes is that if we try to live life apart from the Lord and finding that satisfaction and fulfillment, you're going to fall short in that. And you're going to be bummed out and you're going to be negative just as Solomon was as he looked at it all. He looked at his labor and he said, what good is it? Because here I am working hard. I got all these projects and all these buildings that are going on and it's just going to be left to somebody else. He said, there was nothing that, that I looked at that I wanted it and 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 received because I received it all and, and he said it's all vanity he would go on and he would talk about how he would pursue knowledge and intellect and all of this and again in these things there's nothing wrong in and of themselves but it was apart from the Lord and he said oh it just uh, was heavy for me and, and he said forget about that might as well party and remember that Solomon probably the wealthiest man that ever lived on the face of the earth, that great wealth. When he built the temple, you read about how it was overlaid with gold and, and the cherubim that were in the Holy of Holies that you know uh, were made of solid gold. And, and it was an incredible kingdom. He wore golden sandals. 
and he had a thousand wives and concubines. He had a palace. He had great wisdom. He had great popularity. He talks about that as we saw last time that he says it's all vain. It's, it's all empty is what it is. What good is it if you have popularity and gain and honor and all this because you're all going to die and then it's, you're going to be forgotten. But here was Solomon that was known throughout the known world and those who would come to visit him like the Queen of Sheba astonished at his kingdom. Not half of what is, you know, been told to me what is in your kingdom and the servants that stand before you. He had servants. He had a choir and an orchestra that was there playing 24-7 in his palace. He had exotic animals that he brought in. He had a provision every day for, for thousands of people, just feast and all of this. And so it was an incredible, incredible time that we can't really imagine how wealthy and prosperous that Solomon was as he wore golden sandals. He had everything. There was no more investment to make. There was no more buildings to build. There was no more horses to have. There was no more women and wives and concubines to have. There was no more popularity to have. He had it all, but yet he's bummed out. And he is miserable. And it reminds me so much of a thousand years later, here comes Jesus, and he says that what good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? And what we're going to see on Sunday is we're going to see that a rich young ruler is going to come to Jesus and say, what must I do to have eternal life? And you see, that's an important question. And that rich young ruler, Dr. Luke tells us in his narrative, that he was one that, that he was very rich. He was a ruler, very successful, probably a ruler over the synagogue. He was young. He's everything that the world looks at in envies, right? Even in the church. Hey, he's healthy, he's wealthy, and he's young. And he has influence. And we look at that and we think that's what, you know, it's all about. Here's a guy that's a go-getter. He's very successful. He does, does, does. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, we'll go over that text on Sunday. Because we know that as Christians, it's not in what we do. It's in what he did. And there is something lacking in his life. And Jesus said, there's one thing that is lacking. As Jesus would give the commandments that don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your mother and your father. And he says, I've done all this. What do I lack? Because I think that he was coming to Jesus and he was lacking in his heart. He was miserable. There was something empty in him. What must I do? And if Jesus would have told him to go on a pilgrimage, he would have gone on a pilgrimage. If Jesus would have told him to go and, and to fast and to sacrifice and to go to a monastery, anything, he would have done it. But Jesus touched on something that had his heart captive, and that was coveting. And you see, as we in this world, it's so easy in our culture and our society to begin to covet. We want to have this and we need to have that. But what I pray that we're understanding here as Christians, that the priority and the thing that we are to desire is the Lord. That, Lord, I want you. Even as we sang in the songs tonight, Lord, that I come to you and I come to the cross because you are everything. So here is Solomon. He's down on life. And as we go through the book, he says it's all vanity, nothing new under the sun because he wasn't really devoted to the Son, the Son of God. He wasn't devoted to the Lord. 
And you and I, we are to be devoted to the Son. And he, he was looking, he was wondering, he was indulging, but yet he was empty and he was frustrated. And he hit some high points in this book. Actually, we're going to see some of that as we're in chapter 7. Then he gets his eyes off the Lord and he's low and he's downcast. The attitude that comes back and he shows us how it has worn him down life. And so we see that in chapter 7, actually in the first 14 verses as we go through it, it reads more like Proverbs as he says, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth in verse 1. And so we see here that he realizes that a good name is better than the most expensive ointment or perfume. And of course, it wasn't long ago that we saw in Proverbs chapter 22 that Solomon wrote that a good name is to be chosen rather than riches. So here's a man that had the riches and he, he had the most expensive ointments or perfumes. Now, today we have all kinds of ointments and perfumes that you can get. And particularly you ladies, you might really enjoy that and it might be important to you. But you've got to understand that 3,000 years ago, to have any kind of expensive ointments or perfumes, that it was everything. It was so valuable, so, so much more valuable to today. First of all, you really couldn't get it. Um, it wasn't accessible like it is today where you can go to different stores and beauty stores and get them or get them online. But they were very expensive. They were very hard to get. And of course, 3,000 years ago, they didn't, you couldn't go and take a shower like you can every day. So, you know, to bathe and to be able to do, do that for most people who were working the land and living, you know, to, to, to take a bath or, you know, to wash up was something that didn't happen daily. So perfumes, to have that, or ointments, was very, very valuable. And so here was something that people could look at and say, yeah, expensive ointments, perfumes, that was only for royalty, only for the rich people. That is so valuable here. And here he says that as he, he begins chapter 7 here writing, that he says that a good name is better than the most expensive ointment or perfume. And the implication is a good name in the eyes of God it is so important and so valuable for you and for me. It is, again, Proverbs, is better than riches is what it is. To have godly character and integrity and honesty and to love the Lord. Matter of fact, it is Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, and I was thinking about this as I was looking at this again, but in chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he talks about how you and I, that we are to be a fragrance. Uh, to diffuse Christ to others. And so here is, is he's talking about that to have a good name, to, to have godly character and to love the Lord and to walk with the Lord and, and godly integrity that it should show in our life and we should be a fragrance to others as we live life. As he says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. In other words, you and I as Christians, listen, we should be diffusing that, you know, just like a, an ointment or perfume smells good and it's to be pleasing to others and particularly here at this time in ancient times. But how much that you and I, I as Christians are to be, you know, that fragrance of Christ that is pleasing to others. So the question is, what is our countenance? What fragrance are we diffusing to others? Is it that of life and of Christ? 
that when they see us, they, they, they sense something of the Lord that is a tremendous blessing to others. When they see our countenance, what do they see? You know, I, I pray that it's very easy, and it's easy for me, I was thinking about this, to begin to gripe and grump about, you know, the darkness of the world. And the Lord simply spoke to me just a couple days ago and said, why don't you start radiating the light? And I don't want to forget about that. To give the light of Jesus Christ to others, that my countenance is a countenance of the Lord, just as Moses was glowing. We're going to see that Solomon's going to talk about that in just a couple chapters about our countenance, that it should shine, and you and I should be shining Jesus Christ, diffusing the fragrance of Christ in our lives as we are talking with others and as we are walking with him. And he goes on and he said, as we read here in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, that the day of the death then, um, and the day of death then the days of one's birth, uh, as he talks about um, it, it is better uh, he goes on, and, and death is better than life, as he's saying here. And you've got to remember that he's thinking in terms of everything's, you know, vanity, nothing new under the sun. He's down, he's discouraged. And I believe that he's saying this because he's thinking that when you die, it's better because no more pain, no more difficulty, no more oppression, no more, you know, hopelessness and all of this. And you and I as Christians that as we think about death, because all of us will be facing death, we will, unless the Lord comes back and raptures us, but we will all have our lives come to an end, but we look at death as just the beginning, right? That we're passing on into heaven, into eternity, because even as Paul would write to the Philippian believers, we're citizens of heaven. We know that Peter would talk about we're pilgrims that are passing through. And as, as the book of Psalm tells us, or actually in Proverbs, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That we know that as we pass on into eternity, it's a blessing. It was Paul the apostle in the book of Philippians that as he's talking to the Philippian believers, he would say to them, don't be concerned about my chains as he's writing from prison in Rome. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him as he's going to be facing Caesar Nero, whether he's going to be put to death or he's going to be released. And at that time, he had that special relationship with the Philippian believers who were concerned for him. And he says to them, listen, don't be concerned that my chains are in Christ or for the furtherance of the gospel. And he goes on to say, for me to die is gain. And that's the way that you and I should look at death that it is gain for you and for me. I think as Christians that we should look forward to heaven. I know that I do. I look forward to our future and knowing that I'm going to see my Jesus and that I have an eternal hope that comes through Christ and the cross of Christ, and he has saved me and forgiven me. And so here is Solomon being all down and discouraged, saying, oh, it's better to die than to live because, you know, life is just a bummer and all of this. In verse 2, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all man, and the living will take it to heart. So again, he's being negative here. Why would it be better to go to a funeral than to go to a feast? Because at a funeral, you're faced with your own mortality, and you don't do that at a feast. Now, personally, I'd rather go to a feast than a funeral. But one of the things, again, that we do here, that I, I've officiated many funerals and memorial services over the years, and at that time, people are thinking more about their own mortality than any other time. It is at, at that time, at a memorial service or a funeral, that I think 
that people are more sensitive to hearing a message of hope. They're wondering, that loved one, that friend of mine, that one that I care about, is there really hope? Is there more than just this life? And they are looking for words of comfort and words of hope. And that's why I place it as a priority that I give the gospel that, listen, there is more, and there is hope in Jesus Christ who loves you and died for you, and eternal life comes through him. And that is a time when we talk with others that as we are listening to them, as they're wondering about, you know, their loved one, that we can give them a message of hope and give them a message of comfort at that time. And so, again, here is um, Solomon as he's being negative and talking about these things. Uh, in verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Uh, for a, uh, by a sad countenance, the heart is made better in verse 3. You know, God wants to grow us. And one of the ways that he grows us is through the trials and difficulties and challenges that we go through. And in those seasons that we go through trials and we go through challenges and we go through difficulties and we go through hurt, and when we're going through difficult seasons, he wants to make our hearts better, not bitter. And you see, what can easily happen is is that, that we can get so focused on the circumstances, and, and I understand that because I go through it myself. To where you're really going through a difficult time, and that's what you're thinking about, and it takes a lot of energy, and you're angry, and you're confused, and <clears throat> next day you're sad, and then and all of this, and whatever emotion you're feeling, that's like the, 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 the main <clears throat> you know, thing you can focus on on that day. But I want you to know this. That through the difficulties and through the trials, the Lord wants to make your heart better and not full of bitterness. That He desires to do a work in growing you and maturing you to bring you to that place of endurance. And that's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings endurance and brings patience and brings completeness, which speaks of maturity. He, he talks, uh, Peter, about uh, the sufferings that we go through and, and knowing this, that God's going to do work in your life and in your heart and that there is hope in that. You know, many of you are going to be heading up into Rocky Mountain National Park and, and as you go into the different galleries in Estes Park, there's galleries and there's pictures and there's paintings of, of some of the bristlecone pines that you find up there at Timberline. And artists go up there and they'll, they'll paint them because they're all gnarly and they're windblown and, and um, just kind of has its own beauty there up at Timberline because the wind blows constantly, particularly in the wintertime up there. And, and uh, here is that bristlecone pine that, that has all these interesting shapes. And so people, they, they like that. They, they like the drawings. They like the paintings. It's something of beauty is what it is. And you see, as you go through the winds of adversity in your life, the Lord desires to make something of beauty out of it. And as Isaiah declares that he's the one that brings beauty out of the ashes, and the Lord is the only one to do that. And it is in those times when the winds of adversity are blowing that we can become bitter, and we lose hope, and we get our eyes on the circumstances so much that we forget to get our eyes on the Lord. 
And that's why it's important for us to remember that we need Him and to look to Him. And even as Jesus said on that hillside in Galilee that, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here tonight that you are tired and you are weary. And the Lord is saying, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. Come learn of me and take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And as you do, and allow the Lord to work in your heart and in your life. Listen, I'm still learning these lessons as well that you're going to see that the Lord is going to be faithful to you and he's going to see you through and work in a way that is going to bring just a special fellowship with him, the fellowship of his sufferings, even as, as Paul would write about in the book of Philippians, oh, that I may know him, he breaks out in prayer, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection. And you see, that's where I like to stop. Oh, that I may know you in the power of your resurrection, Lord. You know, just the power in my life and, you know, powerful ministry and tell mountains to be gone and all of this. But you see, Paul didn't stop there. And he said, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And in the sufferings that we go through for Christ, and whatever it may be for you, that there's a sweet level of fellowship and a deep level of fellowship that you can have with the Lord as you turn to him as you look to him and trust in him, and as you depend on him, he's going to work, and he's going to do a deep work in you in those times of weeping. And weeping may endure for a night, but joy hath come in the morning, as the psalmist writes. And then in verse 4 we read, that the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And so when we weep, you know, we should be weeping over sin, is what verse 4 is saying. There's wisdom in that. Jesus said, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So you and I as Christians, what should our attitude be about sin? It, it grieves us. And the reason that it grieves us is because it grieves a holy father that we love and care for. And as Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, when we come and say, Lord, that I am bankrupt without you, that I am dry, that I am so needy of you as we are poor in spirit and come, and as we rely on him, even as Jesus said, if you thirst, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. As he would say to the people, come and eat of the living bread. As we come to him, listen, that you're going to be rich, and you're going to be blessed and benefited as you come to him realizing your need for him. But as a Christian, as we're walking with him, I hope that when we see sin, that it grieves us, that we don't wink at sin, that it's no big deal. You know, boys will be boys, you know. What's the big deal? Just kind of live any way that you want. And that's the message in a lot of the church today. It absolutely amazes me. Uh, there are many ministries and churches that, well, well we just kind of overlook sin. We don't want it to address it. Listen, you and I as Christians, we are called to holiness. And we are called to pursue it and to stand on truth. And when we see sin, to grieve at it and to warn others of it as well. So there's wisdom in doing that. And as he continues in verse uh, 5, um, it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the songs of fool. Uh, we don't like to be rebuked by godly wisdom, 
but we are to receive it and learn from it. And it's better than hearing the foolish songs of the world. And again, it's a trend that I think that, you know, I've been pastoring for 25 years. And, and one of the trends that I've seen that has happened is that Christians don't like to be corrected. They don't, you know, just leave me alone. And God loves me the way I am, kind of what I just talked about, mentality. But listen, we are to be open to godly rebuke from the word of God out of love. And it takes real humility to receive that, doesn't it? I don't like to be corrected. I don't like to be rebuked. But we are to receive that, and we're to be thankful for it. It's better than receiving a bunch of, you know, voices of the world and the songs of the world that is very foolish. So we want to make sure that we're receiving that correction that comes from God's word and godly wisdom that is given to you and to me. And then in verse 6 we read, that for like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so the laughter of the fool. You remember going through Proverbs, if you're with us on Wednesday night, there was nothing good to, that Solomon wrote and the word of God declares about a fool. Nothing good at all. So here, he, as he continues writing, he's saying that it's the crackling of thorns under a pot, as so is the laughter of a fool. This also is vanity, as Solomon writes. You know, they would stop as they travel along the roads and to be able to have some wood you know was something that to keep warm around the fire it was a good thing but if they were in the desert regions and all they had with thorns and bushes you know how it is they're dried and they cut it off and they put it in a fire and it just goes up it crackles and doesn't produce much heat at all really isn't much valuable really doesn't do a whole lot of good in warming you and being a benefit to you so he's saying that's the way it is, the, the laughter of a fool, the thoughts of a fool. It just doesn't benefit at all. It doesn't bring warmth. It doesn't bring, you know, blessing to you at all. And surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. So uh, situations, uh, situations where perhaps you feel oppressed in money can make us do things that are wrong. So we need to be careful. And again, we don't want those situations to determine how it is that we react in that, that we're reacting out of the flesh according to the way the world wants us to react. But we want to make sure that we're allowing the Lord to determine how it is that we react. And it's at that time, again, that we need to humble ourselves and come to God's word and say, Lord, help me in this. Give me the strength to do what is right. And one of the things that I say over and over again to people who find themselves in very frustrating situations, that I say, make sure that you're doing what is right. It's important that you do what is right, that you, that you pursue that. And even as Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness and fight the good fight of faith. And then in verse 8, the end of, the thing is, the end of a thing is better than... Uh, its beginning and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit the christian life is one uh, of endurance is what it is and uh, one of the the verses that i know that uh, many of you that serve the lord or desiring to walk with the lord that you know uh, a verse that i go back to is first corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 after paul writes that long chapter about the resurrection then he would say that we're to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. Listen, as you're living for the Lord, 
as you're living for him, making decisions for your family based on the way that the Lord wants you to live and how you raise your kid, how you, you know, uh, what you allow into your home, how you conduct yourself as you serve the Lord. Listen, it is not in vain. And you be steadfast and you be immovable, always remembering that as you do that, that the Lord is going to strengthen you. And in the next chapter, you see that Paul, as he's wrapping up the first letter to the Corinthians, he says, what you're to do is he gives the last exhortations to them is be steadfast in the faith. Be steadfast in the faith. And as you're steadfast in, in the faith, the way to do that is be steadfast in the word of God. Reminds me of Shammah, one of David's mighty men that you read there in Second Samuel, and you also read in First Chronicles, as it gives a description of the mighty man. And there's one, his name was Shammah, and he was told by David, you know, stand here in the field, this field of lentils, a field of beans, and you guard it. Have your sword with you, you guard it, and it says that all of a sudden that the Philistines came, and he stood his ground, he stood fast. It means to plant himself there is, is what it meant. He, he stood his ground, and he took that sword, and he took on the Philistines, and he had great victory. That's why he became one of David's mighty men. The way that you and I can be a mighty man and a mighty woman of God is take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you make your stand. You stand for righteousness, and you stand for the truth of God's Word and continue to grow in it. And when the Philistines of the world come and attack you, the enemy attacks you in the world, that you take the word of God and you use it. And even as the whole armor of God that we're to put on have the sword of the spirit, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, which is what? The word of God. And the word of God is going to grow you and it's going to give you wisdom and give you direction. Aren't you so glad that you have the word of God? You have the word of God so we don't have to walk in darkness or in foolishness. So you be steadfast in the faith and the way to be steadfast in the faith is by continuing in the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God as Paul writes in the book of Romans. And then in verse 9, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry for anger rests in the bosom of fools. And we've talked a lot about anger as we went through the book of Proverbs and we can get angry. But even as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 that be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Because if you let your anger, which you are to put off according to Ephesians and the book of Colossians, put off anger, put off malice, put off wrath, put off blasphemy, all these things, and put on Christ. But we do get angry. And when we get angry, we don't want to take it to where we sin. And we don't want to allow the enemy to get a foothold into our lives because he will. And there are so many things that are done and, and terrible consequences, terrible things that are said because of anger. And so we want to give that all to the Lord and to say, Lord, help me to put it off in the wrath, which is where you're just about ready to explode. You're so angry. And malice is where you're, you're sitting there and you're stewing about it and you just get mad and mad. You get madder and madder and you just stew and... And I've never done that, but I'm just saying that you know how it is. We all can struggle with that. 
when we see certain things or in different situations and we need to put it off. Lord, I, I need to give it to you. And I don't want the sun to go down on my wrath. And I don't want to give a place to the devil because I know that there's going to be rotten fruit and bad fruit that will come from the anger that I'm feeling right now and experiencing. And verse 10 says, Do not say, Why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Sometimes people will say that, Oh, I was doing you know, such great things for the Lord. I remember when I was in Bible study and leading a group and I was serving the Lord and, and I remember these days and doing all of this. And the question sometimes that I'll ask is, what about now? I understand that circumstances, you know, will change our seasons in life to where maybe we can't do what we used to do. I'm very much aware of that. I'm very much aware that is, you know, that as you get older, that uh, maybe you don't have the energy or not able to do what you used to be able to do. But what I'm saying is that I pray that we never look back and say, you know, there was a time when I was, you know, a lot closer to the Lord and I was really serving the Lord, but I kind of lost interest. Or I got so distracted. Because I want to say to you that God is not done with you. And He wants to continue to use you and however He can and how He's gifted you and opportunities that He desires to give to you. He desires for you to continue to draw close to Him. For you to, to know Him. And, and to be seeking him and how he can continue to use you is Paul the apostle as he was meeting the Ephesian elders for the very last time in Acts chapter 20 that he said that I don't count my life dear to myself but I am determined to finish my race with joy that is set before me and it's one of my you know I got about a dozen life verses but that is one of them Lord, I want to finish my race with joy that is set before me. I want to finish my race, even as Paul later on after that, that he would write at the end of his life, that Timothy, my departure is at hand in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I have fought the good fight, and I have run the race, and I have kept the faith. And my prayer is, Lord, I want to be able to say at the end of my life, that, Lord, that I've run my race, I've run my race with joy, that I didn't stop, that I didn't keep looking back, that I, I didn't, you know, just lose interest, that, that, you know, any of those things that can bring hindrance to me, that I stopped drawing close to you and to know you. It amazes me in Second Timothy chapter 4 how Paul would say, Timothy, come to me quickly and bring my coat and bring the parchments. He was continuing wanting to continue in the word of God. Bring the scrolls. I, I want to read them. I want to continue in God's word. Here's a man that wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he continued to press forward in knowing him and loving the Lord. And as he was, whatever situation that he was in, he desired to be used of the Lord. When he was in, in prison, he wrote epistles. He prayed for the saints. He ministered to the palace guards in his first imprisonment. But he was one that ran his race. And he fought the good fight because it is a battle out there. And we get tired and we get weary. And one of the things that I was telling the staff and I told a few people here, and I'm not saying this to, so you feel sorry for me, but being gone last week, you know, Sue and I were able to get away for a few days and, 
and go to one of my favorite places where there's no cell phone. No one can get to me in the Lamar Valley in Yellowstone where the grizzlies and wolves are. It's one of my favorite places. And as I came back, I realized how tired I was and how ministry does wear on you and is very tiring and how much I need your prayers for endurance in that and how much of a battle it can be at times of all the pressures and, and people trying to get at you and all of this. And I pray, Lord, help me to keep running that race that is set before me. And Lord, help me to keep fighting that good fight. And Paul said, I, I've kept the faith. And my prayer for you, because you have battles as well. And you work hard. You work very hard for your family and living for the Lord. And you have battles as well. They're just different than my battles. And my prayer for you is that you will keep running your race. And you keep fighting the good fight. And that's why we need to encourage each other and be praying for one another as we do that. And then in, in verse uh, 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense, but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. So wisdom and money can both be profitable, but of the two, wisdom is better. Wisdom, first of all, will give us eternal life as we embrace the gospel. And wisdom will give us blessing and benefit in our lives, that life abundantly as we live in that wisdom. Uh, and it has eternal value for us. So here, Solomon is recognizing the value of practical wisdom. And I hope that we realize it as well in our own lives. We are so tremendously blessed, aren't we, that, as I mentioned, that we have God's word to direct us. Because all of you, you know people, and I know people, that we hurt for them and we're concerned for them because they're following after the worldly wisdom. And you see how mixed up and messed up their lives can be because they're following that and they don't have godly wisdom. So we always want to not only live it, but we want to give it to others and pray for others that they can discover it as well. And then in verse 13 and 14, consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. In a day of prosperity, be joyful. But in a day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. And so we think that prosperity is linked to blessing and adversity to judgment. That's, remember, as we went through the book of Job, that that's what Job's miserable counselors would declare to him. Hey, you must have done something wrong, Job. That's why you're going through adversity. If you live a righteous life, then you'll have prosperity and you'll have blessing. And that's the way a lot of people believe in the world and unfortunately in some of the circles of the church and in the, in the prosperity movement that is so popular today. You know, Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. And we will go through seasons where we feel, you know, just the... the the blessings of the Lord, but also we go through the adversities in our lives. And I think here in verse 14, I think, Solomon, what kind of adversities could you have? I mean, you had everything that you wanted. He's frustrated here. And as he's looking at this in a negative way, well, you know, what's, you know, it's all vanity because you go through prosperity, you go through adversity, 
you know, it all comes to us. What difference does it make? Here's the thing. And Solomon, I think, is saying that there's nothing that you can really do about it. There is something that you and I can do about it. Are you going to allow your heart to get better or more bitter? And there is something that we can do, and that is go to the Lord and look to Him and trust Him. And to say that, Lord, your promise is that you'll never leave me or forsake me. And Lord, you said you'll always be with me. And you cannot do evil. And you cannot lie. And you promise to work for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. In other words, as you're working in my life. And I don't see how that's going to happen right now. But I'm going to stand on that promise. And I know that you're working in a way in eternity's perspective. And so, Lord, help me to just depend on you and look to you and draw close to you. Not to draw away from the Lord, because, see, there's a tendency, and I've had that tendency in my own life, to just kind of fall away from the Lord or, you know, just, I, 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 I don't want to draw close to you, I don't want to cry out to you more than ever. There's something that we can do in the time of adversity. Call out to him because he loves you. And he desires to work and to speak to you in that sweet fellowship of sufferings that you're going through. So even though Solomon's looking at it, you go through adversity, there's nothing you can do. Just kind of throwing up his hands. It's all vanity. There's something that you and I can do. And that is to cast our cares upon him because he does care for us. Well, we'll stop right there and we'll continue next week. As the Lord, we thank you for these verses that, again, that we learn so much from, that Solomon being down and discouraged on life, that we can, Lord, have a life of hope and encouragement. And Lord, um, always hope in Jesus. And perhaps there are those that are here tonight that are going through adversity or pain or loss or a hard time. Or Lord, I pray that they would know that you love them and you desire for us to draw close to you and not only to trust in you, but to rest in you and what you're doing. And Lord, that can be the hard part. And I pray that we would have that desire to, Lord, just to sit and talk with you, get away with you, spend time with you, to the Lord to listen, to seek you, because you promise that as we come and seek you, that we will be found by you, that as we call out to you, that you will hear us, and that, Lord, you desire to bring that comfort that only the God of comfort you can bring to us. Father, I pray you help those who perhaps are hurting or frustrated or angry. Who perhaps feel hopeless, discouraged and down, even as Solomon. We know that we belong to you. You cannot lie. You can do no evil. But you're a loving father who desires good, good gifts to his children. 
and to work in eternity's perspective. So, Father, I pray that we would look to you right now. That we would know that you desire to work in our lives day by day and moment by moment. Father, I thank you for this study. Help us to keep running our race. To fight the good fight. Because it is a fight that is worth fighting for. And to keep the faith. And to be steadfast in you. And as the shouts go out that the Philistines are coming, Lord, that we would stand our ground in your truth. And we would have victory as you strengthen us. Father, I pray that you bless everyone here. For our young people, as I think about the kids in the children's ministry, I, I think about the youth upstairs, that you would bless them and bless their summer and grow them. And Father, I look forward to Vacation Bible School coming up next week that, Lord, you would bring those who you desire to come to hear the gospel, to be loved, to be served, to have fun, Lord, to get away from just the stuff of the world and be a place of safety and truth, that we would touch many kids, their families, that we continue to reach out to this community standing on truth and not backing away from it, but giving it in love. To encourage people to walk in what is right. And to tell them that a loving Father desires for them to be in a place of safety. Not to get hurt and done in and wiped out and in bondage and slavery to what the world says okay and celebrates. And for us, all of us here tonight, that our satisfaction is not found in anything apart from you. It may bring temporary satisfaction and pleasure, but it will bring emptiness and hopelessness and discouragement. Lord, our hope is in you. Our encouragement and blessing and satisfaction is in you and knowing you. Lord, take us all home safely tonight. I do pray tonight, if there's anyone listening on the computer or on the radio later, maybe in this building, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you and died for you. And you call out to him in faith because he is your salvation, knowing that you're a sinner and need to be forgiven. And you pray because he is your salvation as you come to him in faith and trust in him, the one who died for you and rose from the grave and is alive. As you say, Jesus, I come to you as a sinner and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that you're alive knocking on the door of my heart and I ask that you be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior because you are the Savior of the world. And I thank you for hearing my prayer, for saving me. And help me to know you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done in this place tonight. 
Take us home. May we take you with us. Continue on. To be the fragrance of Christ that we diffuse to others in our day tomorrow and the days ahead. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.